0: Well, I don't know about you, but during this time of shelter-in-place, I am finding myself with awesome time to do all the small projects that i found myself putting off probably for years. Um, I, like a lot of you, have started a garden. I call it my shelter-in-place garden. Um, I'm 53. The irony of the fact that my last name is Farmer is not lost on me. Yet, this is the very first garden I've ever planted. And let me tell you, although I have experienced the benefits of many gardens, it is painfully slow for a garden to begin to produce fruit. I have one tiny little eggplant and I have some blooms on my tomato plants and blooms on my zucchini, but I'm not sure if there's ever going to be any fruit from these, these, these precious vines and and uh, little plants that I have put in the ground and taken such love and care for. Well, today Jesus ends his I am statements throughout the Gospel of John. Jesus is constantly talking about, I am, I am the door, I am the shepherd, uh, I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Today he concludes his I am statements with really a, an allegory, if you will, about himself as the true vine and we as his branches. Now, for those first Israelite listeners, they would have understood because Israel was always referred to as God's vine, God the Father being the vine dresser and Israel being the true vine. But now Jesus says, I am the vine. All will come through me. I am the way, he's just said in chapter 14, as we talked about last week, Jesus is the true vine and he says that we are his branches. And whether you've planted a garden or you know anything about botany, I imagine you get the analogy that Jesus is drawing. We must stay in him if we are to produce fruit. But the immediate question for me is, what is the fruit? Theologians have batted this idea around for a long time. Is, it, is the fruit... The, the people who come to faith through us, as Paul talks about, as he talks in, in Athens and, and preaches these sermons um, and, the, um, and, and sees some mock him, some want to hear more, and others decide to become believers. Is that the fruit? Or is the fruit what Peter is describing in his letter? First Peter that Andrew read a minute ago, that, that we are in hardship to learn to be like God, to have to take on his character. Is that the fruit? Is it like the fruits of the Spirit that Paul talks about? Well, I think it's more fundamental than either uh, those who come to faith through us, in other words, our evangelism, or our own character, in other words, our own discipleship. I think it's much more fundamental a principle that Jesus is getting at. If you think about the plant life, the, the very life of the plant is dependent, the, the branch is dependent upon being in the vine, just like the branch of a tree to being in the, in, grounded in the trunk of the tree. And, and here Jesus is talking about what it means for us to be a part of him, to actually manifest his very life to us. It's the, it's the evidence of the life of Jesus himself, his Zoe life, his Godlike life, his eternal life. That's, that's what Jesus is talking about. That's the fruit. The evidence of the life of Jesus. Now my Old Testament, excuse me, my New Testament professor, Rod Whitaker, uh, in his commentary on the Gospel of John says that so this, this evidence of the life of Jesus that he's looking for, this fundamental fruit, is both knowledge of who God is, how God acts, and the nature of his love, that it's sacrificial. promised myself I wouldn't talk about any TV shows that I'm watching today, so I'm going to keep to that promise. But I, I will make this comment: There's oftentimes when we're watching things, and I'm watching a documentary. I'll go that far, and um, it's just it's 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 like sand in my shoe, the way this person in this documentary um, continually is self-centered in their pursuit. And I think that the the troublesome thing for me is because it's so contrary to the nature of God who out of his power and great ability empties himself and sacrifices himself for others. This is the knowledge of God. This is the nature of his love. And it's this fruit, the evidence of that fruit that Jesus is calling his disciples to come to. Earlier I Am statements have been about an invitation I'm the door, I'm the shepherd, I'm the bread of life, I'm the way, I'm the resurrection and the life. This week's Jesus' I am statement, the vine and the branches, is about remaining in him, about being rooted in him. Last week I said to you that we want God to change the world. And right now we want him to change the world by eradicating this virus. But I said something to you that I, I believe completely, even a week after saying it. God is more preoccupied with changing us before he changes the world. He's come to change hearts and minds and lives individually, bringing us individually into the kingdom. How does he accomplish that? Well, it's through changing us, not meaning he changes our personality or um, the basic temperament of who we are, but, but he changes us by producing this fruit within us you could call this part two of last week's sermon, I guess, in a way. But the real emphasis in the passage, yes, it's on fruit, but more fundamentally, even beyond, below the fruit, it's, it's Jesus' call that we would abide in him, that we would remain in him, that, that we, we would, would learn to be a part of him and what that means. And part of the angst of our spiritual lives as well as the rest of our lives is that we spend so much time focused on how to improve ourselves and what's wrong with us. And I think this is a part of the counter to what Jesus is calling us to. Abide in him is to rest in him, to be with him. Now, Jesus makes three points with regard to this call that we might remain in him, that we might abide in him. It is the secret to us producing fruit. the first First thing thing Jesus makes clear is that apart from me, you you can can do nothing. nothing. Now, you can, you can honestly, you can actually lead someone to Christ apart from Jesus. You can, you can do lots of good acts and works, and you can look very religious and very spiritual and all the things, but, but fundamentally, we can't display the life of God, the life of Jesus, this eternal life, unless we are in him, unless we're dwelling in him. That's what he says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a hard lesson to learn, that we can spend lots of energy doing lots of activities, but if we're not doing it in Christ, if we're not doing it by abiding in him, it's for nothing. Jesus, uh, rather Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, though I speak in the tongues of men and angels, if I have not love, I'm just a clanging cymbal resounding gong, I, ultimately nothing is accomplished. Jesus says that we must learn to abide in him if we're to accomplish anything worth worthy of us, worthy of his life that he's given us. Well the second lesson Jesus reminds us is that if we abide in him, there will be pruning. If there's evidence of the life of Jesus in us, we get pruned, and no one likes to be pruned. I don't know how a plant feels about it. I've never had a conversation with a plant, but I know human beings, and we don't like to be pruned. And yes, that's the very work the Lord is constantly doing in our lives. He's pruning us. The more we grow spiritually, the more we get pruned. Now, it's not that God is is nitpicking. He's He's not ever uh, uh, this perfectionist father who we can never please. It's because he wants, to, he wants to allow his love to be manifest to an even greater degree from us. Last week, you know, the state began into phase one and um, I ventured into the dry cleaner one customer at a time, which is, I thought was pretty amazing. And I walked in to drop off my dry cleaning and there before me were two women neither of them donning mask. My mouth dropped behind my mask, which I was wearing. And I, in my own way, said, oh, and this is just my flesh, just being completely honest with you guys. I said, oh, did your company not supply you with masks? Knowing that everybody is brother is making masks in quantities that we can never wear all. I have myself a collection of four or five masks at home that I can choose from. It's becoming a fashion statement to which mask I wear a particular day. I knew they had masks, but in my own way, I was passively aggressively asking them about their mask. The woman from the back yelled out to me, well, you, well, you know, know they're, they're not required, required for anyone, anyone in, in a very, a very harsh, harsh way. way. In that moment, there was pruning. But not where you think, because I didn't proceed to tell her why she should wear her mask and give her all of the medical evidence for why masks are important to fighting this pandemic. Rather, I just said, well, you have a great day and be safe. And I walked out. And in that moment, I realized that the Lord was in the midst of pruning me. You see, there's nothing that I could have said that would have changed her heart because she doesn't know me from anybody. But what the Lord was doing in me was beginning to prune away my need to be right and my need to enforce the rules and my need, I don't know, maybe fundamentally just to be safer than her not wearing the mask. That's legitimate. I don't mean that it's not, but I want you to understand that when when Jesus talks about the pruning in our lives, he's getting below the surface in our lives. He's looking at our motivations. We can do and say all the things that justify ourselves, and yet our hearts can be far from him. We can be striving against Jesus rather than abiding in his love. Can I say to you that over the next few months, we're going to have lots of opportunities to be pruned by the Lord? I don't have to tell you how many different opinions there will be with regards to how fast or how slow we reopen what we do, how we meet, how we don't meet, what actions people take, whether we turn the air conditioning on or don't turn the air conditioning on. All of those things are important conversations to have. But may I suggest to you that the Lord wants to do this ongoing pruning. If we remain in him, if we are abiding in him, if we're displaying the knowledge and the understanding of the love of God and the love of God in our our lives, then Jesus promises that he will prune us that we might manifest even greater love. Well, how is it that God prunes you? How is it he prunes me? Well, there's no real secret here. I think that mainly the Lord does it through three ways. First of all, by getting us to sit quietly before him. Now, I know some of you are young parents, and any time you sit down, there's a child in your lap or a child wanting something or a child doing something that you have to attend to. I completely get it. I can remember the Lord reminded me of a time where I went to visit my friend Billy in North Carolina, and I had some time alone with the Lord out on a rock overlooking the Nandahala River. And I thought, this is the most quality time I've had with God in five years. I had left my wife with the three children under the age of five back home. I get it but the lord calls us to abide in him to find even those fractions of moments to be still before him to sit with him it may mean getting up in the early in the morning it may mean staying up late at night without turning on netflix but the lord invites us to sit with him it's important for how we abide with him secondly being in the scriptures is how we abide in the lord not only just to read them, to say we've got them done or to get through the whole Bible, but to to listen. What is God saying? What is he teaching me about his nature? What is he teaching me about my own nature? What is he asking me to do in response? It's another way that we abide in Christ, allowing the scriptures to convict us of where we need to change, what we need to repent from, where the Lord wants to prune us. And thirdly, by spending time with other Christians, and how painful that part of this whole uh, virus quarantine is, right? That we can't be together, that we can't rub up against each other spiritually as sandpaper and challenge each other and give example to each other in our lives of how we're, we're living and, um, and how important it is to be around other Christians that we respect, that allow, we allow them to speak into our lives. It's another way of abiding in Christ, can I suggest being with the Lord. But we can do that virtually, though. We can do that on Zoom. I do it every week with my covenant group on Thursday morning, reporting in where I've failed and where I've succeeded and what my hopes and fears are. And more importantly, listening to what they're saying and seeing if the Lord wants to speak a message to me through the way they say what's going on with them. Jesus calls us to abide in him, to remain in him, Ultimately, going down to verse 9, the third and final thing that Jesus says about abiding is that that abiding in him is to abide in his love, to rest in his love. Bishop Todd Hunter said something on a a Zoom meditation a couple weeks ago that has just stuck with me. He said, let the future wait on you. You choose, and it was just 30 minutes, you take this 30 minutes, let the future wait on you and you just be here with the lord and let him speak into your life how freeing that was to think about just remaining in the moment letting whatever happened in 30 minutes happen in the future being with the lord in the present and letting our mind and heart focus on his incredible love for us a love that does not require performance, a love that is not nagging, a love that simply invites us into his presence. Now, I don't want to deceive you and not cover all the scripture here. The, the other side of this is Jesus says that those who do not remain in him will be cast off. They'll be, they'll be gathered up and, and burned away as branches are burned in a, a brush fire I don't believe this is a reference to the final judgment at all. I think this is just the, Jesus reminding us that if, we're, that if we, are, we refuse to abide in him, we will shrivel up and become of uselessness, spiritually speaking. Jesus doesn't want that. He's not asking us to perform. He's asking us to abide in his love. He's asking us to, to preoccupy ourselves for, with, with who he is and his great love for us and the favor that he's put upon us. There's a part of me that is so frustrating. I think I've said this to you in the past. I want to be in New York City, you know, doing emergency relief. I want to be uh, working with, with those who are most affected by this disease. And yet, where does the Lord have me? He has me here in Gainesville where we're not overwhelmed by the virus and where we're already in the midst of reopening. The Lord keeps reminding me of his incredible grace and that I don't need to try to earn it, but just receive it. Abide, Jesus says, in my love. That will result, Jesus says, in obeying his commandments. What are his commandments? To obey his father and to love one another how many opportunities will we have to love one another? Can, can I just invite you to meditate on First Peter? First uh, Peter chapter three, verse 18, that Andrew read to us a, a moment ago. Um, this needs to be our preoccupation for the next couple of months, not the state of reopening in America. Here is what we're called to do as people who display the life of Jesus, who abide in him. What does Peter say? Verse 8, finally, all of you, you believers, you who are in Christ, have unity in mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. There's a lot of reviling going on with social media. But to the contrary, bless, Peter says. For to this you were called that you may obtain the blessing. Friends, more now than ever, we have an opportunity as those who are abiding in Jesus to display something extremely different in the world and i'll tell you already some of us are failing especially on social media here's our opportunity to abide in his love follow the father's commandments and to love one another where is the lord pruning you are you resisting it or are you allowing it who is he calling you to love Where are you experiencing his joy? The Last thing Jesus says is that my joy in you and your joy may be complete. Why does the Lord prune? Why does he rebuke us and remind us that if we aren't abiding in him that we're gonna be cast off because he wants us to know his joy. The joy that he alone can give Love the story of Mary and Martha and the Gospel of Luke, the version that Luke tells. Martha is running around doing many things, trying to get ready for dinner and all the activities. You know the story very well. And where is Mary? She's at the feet of Jesus. And Martha comes up indignant and says, Jesus, make Mary work. And what does Jesus say? Martha. Martha. You are worried and busy with many things, but one thing is needed. What Mary has chosen to do will not be taken away from her. Abide in me, Jesus says, abide in my love that you might know my joy. God bless you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.